against the enemies of the Jewish state at the time of Armageddon. Verse 4, Yea, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon and all the coast of Palestine? Will you render me a recompense? And if you recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? Now that's a graphic verse. As God highlights a number of people who have in fact assisted the invader, and they dare, they, they have the effrontery of trying to pay God back for what they've done. And God says, how dare you render me a recompense for, for what you've done to my people? How dare you suggest that you can make up for that? And surely and swiftly and speedily, I'm going to reward you how you've rewarded my people. Tyre and Zidon. That's the region of Lebanon ruled by Hezbollah. That word Palestine in the Hebrew is Philistia. The coast of the Philistines is the Gaza Strip, Hamas. So we're not going to see a resolution to the Gaza Strip or to Lebanon anytime soon. In fact, just this week, tensions are escalating because, in fact, uh, rockets came across from Lebanon, Hezbollah, and Israel retaliated. And there were some people in Lebanon who are trying to defuse the situation immediately because they know that Israel will fight back. So this thorn in Israel's side is going to continue. And they dare, in supporting the Russian invasion, they dare say to God, can we give you a reward? Can we make up for what we've done, a recompense? And God says, how dare you ask that question? Now, God is going to solve this problem. But before he does, in verse 5, we read this. Because you have taken my silver and my gold and carried it into your temples, my goodly pleasant things. Now, I've underlined the word my there because, you see, all of this wealth of Ezekiel 38, of Daniel chapter 11, is engineered by the providence of God. And the amazing things we're going to see in a few moments in the technology of this country and the remarkable way in which they've achieved things, they think it's in their own strength, but God says it's mine. Now, the accusation that's been brought upon these people, Hamas and Hezbollah particularly, is that they have seized the silver and gold, just like this, the Russians have, and they have carried this into their temples, their mosques. So, so these goodly pleasant things, and Rotham translates that, my richly beautiful things, Young's Literal has my desirable things that are good, part of that spoil that's taken from Israel will decorate the mosques throughout Israel. It's a little bit like the Philistines, isn't it? When they were successful against Israel, they paraded all of their trophies, all of their spoil, in their temples. The same spirit will exist. But I want to emphasize the fact, my silver, my gold, they're my people. Enemies for the gospel's sake, but beloved for the Father's sake. But what I have given to Israel is from my hand. So how's God going to solve the problem? Well, let's just read verse 6 before we get go on. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border. 
Now we know from Zechariah chapter 14 that half the city will go forth into captivity. Joel 3 verse 6 tells us that not only will some of the Jerusalemites go into captivity, but also the children of Judah will go into captivity. So there is going to be this massive deportation of Jewish people outside the land by the invader. And of all the countries, of all the countries that have been selected by this invading force to house these exiles of the Grecians, the Hebrew is the sons of Greece. Now, now this is one of the greatest betrayals that's going to happen to the Jewish people. Why do I say that? Because you see, at the moment, Israel and Greece are signing record defense deals. I am certain that this program, says the defense minister, will upgrade the capabilities and strengthen the economies of Israel and Greece. And this partnership between our two countries will deepen the defense, economic, and political levels. Israel, Greece, Cyprus hold naval drill amid deepening ties. So there is now an alliance between these countries. Israeli, United Arab Emirates, fighter jets, fly together in a large international exercise in Greece. Cyprus meeting of UAE, Israel, Greece showcases a new narrative. Cyprus hosted a meeting Friday of top diplomats from Israel, UAE, as well as Greece for talks that reflected the changing face of the Middle East. This new strategic partnership stretches from the shores of the Arabian Gulf to the Mediterranean and Europe. So of all the countries that Joel mentions, where these Jews are going to end up deported and exiled from their country, having escaped the Holocaust of Europe, to go back into that furnace, it's the sons of Greece. They will feel deeply betrayed, deeply betrayed. Because at the moment, there is a strong forging of alliances with Israel and with Greece. So in Joel chapter 3 and verse 7, God says this, Behold, here's, here's my solution. I will raise them up out of the place whither you sold them and will return your recompense upon your own head. I'm going to reward you how you rewarded my people. And we know, don't we, that the Jews in Europe will come back through a second exodus and God says, I will raise them up. And as far as your sons and your daughters, I'm going to sell them into the hands of the children of Judah. And they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for Yahweh has spoken it. So the way in which these Hamas, Hezbollah, and Arab powers treat Israel, they will receive exactly that recompense upon their own head. God is very just. And what God is going to do, he's going to solve the Middle East problem by removing from the land of Israel all that hatred, all that antagonism, all that vilification, and he's going to move these people who have expressed their hatred for Israel, and he's going to remove them out of the land. That's how he's going to solve the Middle East problem. And the Jews, in fact, who've come back, will assist with removing all of that hatred from the land. And they're going to go to a place called Sabir, to the Sabaeans. Where's that? Well, the word Sabir occurs in Isaiah 45, but it's a different Hebrew word. But Smith's Bible Dictionary tells us that the Sabaeans of Joel chapter 3, verse 8, are actually the ancient kingdom of Sheba. The Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and across there to Djibouti, 
and the area of Eritrea is the area of the Sabaeans. So God is going to remove these people. He's going to keep them sort of close to the Middle East, but he's going to put them way, way south of all of those blessings in Israel and Jerusalem. That's how he's going to solve the Middle East dilemma. All that hatred and vilification will be physically removed. Let's come back to the prosperity of the Jewish people. My silver, my gold. So what have we learned? Well, the first point is, is that the wealth in Israel is in the agriculture and livestock industries. Cattle. It's in manufactured goods. Remember that word gotten? It means to produce, to manufacture. Thirdly, the idea of goods is, is any commodity that's bought and sold through trade. Fourthly, we learn from Daniel chapter 11 that some of that wealth is hidden. It's hidden treasure, hidden wealth. It's substantial. It's a great spoil. And lastly, it's all God-given. Israel doesn't recognize that. It's my silver and my gold. And they will eventually recognize well, Israel's prosperity. Today, Israeli industry concentrates mostly on manufactured products. There it is. By developing products based on Israel's own scientific creativity and technological innovation. With more than 25% of the industrial workforce employed in high-tech manufacturing. Exactly what Ezekiel 38 said. The manufacture of these things. Here are the top 10 exports. Electrical machinery, high-tech equipment is number one. Number two, gems, precious stones, many diamonds. Number three, optical, technical, and medical apparatus. Number four, machinery, including computers. Number five, organic chemicals. Number six, plastics. Seven, other chemical goods. Eight, aircraft and spacecraft. Nine, pharmaceuticals. Ten, arms and ammunition. And, and there on the right-hand side, you have there just one of the Israeli inventions. It's an eco-skeleton for people who are paralyzed. Remarkable invention. It allows a person to go from their wheelchair, to stand up in this exoskeleton and be able to maneuver. Just a, a classic illustration of the inventiveness of the Israeli people. Before COVID, the charts were quite significant. The gross domestic product from 2000 to 2016 was outstripping anything which the OECD could provide and their debt ratio was also declining compared to the OECD. Then of course COVID hit and, and all the world economies uh, took a hit in relation to that. As far as Israel is concerned they had a very aggressive rollout of the vaccine. Uh, in fact they're now having a, a rollout number three because uh, the, the Delta strain's coming back. But they're, they're highly organized, highly electronic, and the Bank of Israel governor, looking at the forecasts of the economy, is saying that we probably will go back to some sort of normalcy next year in 2022. So, so where is Israel's hidden wealth? Remember that expression, Daniel chapter 11? Hidden wealth. Well, the first point of their hidden wealth is beneath the ocean. 
the, the special Hebrew word that doesn't occur anywhere else, else in the Bible, which talks about hidden wealth. This, this is how God is actually fulfilling that. Israel's natural gas and oil revenues total a billion shekels, about 330 million US dollars in 2020, and it's increasing. And the reason why it's increasing is just because the, the flow of the gas is now increasing. They're exporting to Egypt, exporting to Jordan. They have this uh, incredible vision of supplying southern Europe with gas. Why do you think, brothers and sisters, that, that God hid this and then unveiled it just four or five years ago? I mean, in the province of God, Israel would have loved that in 1967. Would have loved it in the Yom Kippur War. But, but God kept that hidden until the, the end of the last days, as it were, because now it becomes a geopolitical prize for those people who actually control this particular wealth. And now the United Arab Emirates is getting on board. A billion dollar UAE Israel gas deal. In April 2021, it's this year, the United Arab Emirates, which belongs to their sovereign wealth company, had a fund of $232 billion pumping into that environment, a 22% stake in Israel's Tamar offshore field. This is serious money. Serious money. And, and, and God hid that and revealed that to Israel right at the end of the last days. Highly significant. And, and the Israelis being very visionary in their alliance with Greece have now determined that they want to actually build the longest underwater gas connection in the world. They want to take it to Cyprus and via Cyprus as a connector into Greece and into southern Europe. These are big, bold plans. And Russia's looking at that. And Russia realizes the power behind the economy of the gas oil industry, as Brother Tony pointed out. It's a massive industry. It's power, geopolitical power. And this will be part of the spoil, the great spoil, that will induce Russia to control this, to have dominion over all of this. It's a bold vision which is coming to reality. The other area of hidden wealth is what we call intangibles. Software, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, blockchain. You can't see those things. Have a computer monitor and you can program, but, but it's, it's an intangible hidden wealth. And Israel is excelling at these kind of things. Uh, and that chart there just demonstrates the number of companies in the different sectors. Look at cybersecurity, massive industry in Israel. And that's been spawned because they're under attack. Russia, China, Iran, constantly bombarding them with cyber attacks. Some of the software that we have in our own computers is Israeli built. The whole defense industry has a massive cybersecurity protection and it spawned an industry which is a hidden industry. How would you touch cybersecurity? It's an intangible, it's a hidden wealth. FinTech, 1,700 companies. Smart mobility, digital health, e-commerce, advanced manufacturing. All of these things 
coming into Israel and out of Israel. So from a, an innovation perspective, a global innovation perspective, Israel is the third most innovative country out of 137 countries. A tiny country. Not only has God brought these people back, but has given them energy to achieve amazing things. They don't realize that. They're in unbelief of the Messiahship of Jesus. And one day they will recognize that God has done these things for them. You take the fintech industry, the financial tech industry. COVID's upon us, but that didn't stop investors pouring their money in the last quarter into these fintech stocks. It, it, it's beyond rationality. I mean, I mean, COVID is a time for winding down. COVID is a time for consolidating resources. But they are pumping money into this industry in Israel. But there's no time because of the innovation in this area. Healthcare technology. There are roughly 1,500 companies operating in the healthcare and life science sectors. It's second only to the US in the number of companies researching and developing medical technology with more than 100 new companies on average founded every year. It's an astounding industry from MRI scanning to, to all sorts of things. That ecoskeleton, another part of the, of the industry, from drugs, procedures. And then we have the agribusiness. 400 plus agri-tech startups and companies, 50% of them were founded in the last few years. Doesn't matter whether it's smart farming or crop protection or machinery or robotics, irrigation, biotech, aquaculture, farming, genetics. 400 odd companies, most of them in the last few years as the Israel technology is coming in. And people have asked, well, what's, the, what's the success? Now, we know that God is the success behind all that. But from a, from a purely natural perspective, there's, there's several factors. Uh, one is they had, as Brother Tony pointed out, a million Russian immigrants coming into Israel, highly skilled engineers and scientists who flooded the market with a new sense of vigor. The second thing is, is that they are a growing population. With their immigration policy, they have a very large young people's population. Thirdly, they, they have a very robust university system. And because the country is small, it's like incubators, where ideas are, are, are formulated and incubated very, very quickly. And the fourth one, which is significant, is that the defense industry produces much of this technology. You know, I was, I was listening to a, uh, a broadcast by an Israeli CEO of one of these, uh, these high-tech companies, and, and they were asking him, what's the success? And they said, well, well, one of the successes is, is that when I was 18, he said, I went into the defense forces, and at 18 years of age, I had to deal with complex software. And I had to make life and death decisions for the battalion and the troops that I was actually leading at 18 years of age. 18. And those three years of compulsory service in that high-pressure environment has created this innovative, demanding, stress-related people that are just bursting with ideas. There's a special division of the army called 8820. They are the high-tech intellectual engineers in the army. And when you leave that 
environment and you come into industry, you've got ideas coming out of your head. And those four qualities, under the providence of God, has created this remarkable industry in Israel, a great spoil. Now, this will please Brother Brian. They have records on cows. Cattle, remember Ezekiel 38, cattle? Israel records the highest productivity of cow milk in the world. <laughs> it's one of those fun facts, I guess. 13,000 litres per cow compared to 10,000 in North America and 6,000 in Europe. How do the Israelis get cows to produce more milk than other countries? But they did. Their technology, their milking processes, the, the way they, they feed cows and manage them. They produce cows, says Ezekiel 38. It produces 262 tons of citrus fruit per hectare compared to 243 in North America, 211 in Europe. Israel's tomato yield, if you want to know what the tomato yield is, is 300 tons per hectare compared with an average of 50 worldwide. That's a world lead in the production of all sorts of fruits. And also, post-production, their wastage is minimal compared to other countries. An astounding situation as God's engineering all of that. You take water management. Five desalination plants, of which the one in Sorek, that desalination plant is the world's largest seawater reverse osmosis treatment plant in the world. Five of them. And that's how they manage their water. So they find that, in fact, that desalination provides 70% of all domestic water. 70% of all the water comes from desalination. And the Israelis are experts at recycling wastewater. 93% of treated water goes back into agriculture. That's astounding. That's absolutely astounding. And the defence industry... Well, we all know the success of Iron Dome, 90% effective against those rockets from Hamas. This is, this, this, this is Star Wars stuff in the e era of Reagan. Airborne laser weapon systems, Israel becomes the first country to shoot down a hostile drone mid-air. And you've seen those drones buzz around, the incredible maneuverability. And to see lasers pick them up and actually shoot them out of the air is, is phenomenal indeed. That's just one area of, of this of this interest that God has given in these people. I don't know whether you've heard of Mobileye. Uh, Mobileye is autonomous driving. So you have a car and you have six cameras across the car and the car itself will drive itself. In fact, do yourself a favour, there's a 30 minute video on YouTube on Mobileye. It is absolutely fascinating to see this car driverless manoeuvre its way around the streets of suburban Jerusalem, stopping for traffic, going round roundabouts, looking at pedestrians. It is a staggering technology. In fact, it was so popular that Intel, the chip maker, purchased this for billions of dollars. All in Israel. All in Israel. The other interesting thing about Ezekiel 38 is this expression desolate places that are now inhabited. You know, it, it's, it's highlighted in Ezekiel chapter 38. To take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited. And the Hebrew word is well translated. It, it's, it's land that's 
ruined or wasted, and, and it's generally used of land ruined by lack of water or ruined through devastation and through invasion. But I want you to notice the use of the plural there, the desolate places. Now, now normally in an invasion, you go for the capital cities, and Russia will go for the capital cities, no doubt about that. But also highlighted by Ezekiel 38 are these desolate places. Now, why do you think Russia and this allied force is interested in desolate places and now inhabited? Well, let me just share a few things with you. There is in Israel the kibbutz system. When the Jews came back in the early days, they were very socialist orientated. Together they drained the swamps and they irrigated the desert. Very socialist dominated. There's been a revolution though in the kibbutz movement in the last 20 years and they've gone from this socialistic experience to a very privatised existence. And so we find that scattered through Israel is this incredible wealth of technology. Here's a classic example. We're just near the Gaza border there. Desert. And there in that kibbutz is the home of Netafim, which is a worldwide filtration company that, that dominates the world on drip systems. A little kibbutz out there just outside Gaza in one of the desolate places in the Negev. Up there in the north where there used to be swamps is kibbutz Shamir which is the home of a place called Shamir Optical, which has revolutionized the way in which people actually have glasses made for them, manufactured. Through an artificial intelligence program, they, they can work out the way that light travels through the lens and which part of the eye it actually affects, and therefore they will mold and shape the particular optical solution to your face and your eyes. Revolutionary. Up there in the north where used to be swamps, is this kibbutz Sasa, which is the home of Plassen. This is the kibbutz that manufactures lightweight tactical armour. And there's a picture there of this jeep which has been outfitted with armour. There's a kibbutz up there doing that. We have down in the Negev, kibbutz Yotvata. And what they've done is, is that they've reared cows in the desert. And they've got 22 of these farms across the Negev, in the middle of the desert, the desolate places, and they produce some 300,000 litres of milk every day in the desert. We have Kibbutz Selim, again in the Negev. On the left-hand side is a photograph of a typical rubbish dump across the world. No one has yet come up with successfully getting all of this mush, paper, diapers, plastics, and synthesizing this into reusable pellets, which can then be ground and remanufactured into plastics, except one Israeli company in the desolate places that are now inhabited. And Tel Aviv, of course, once sand dunes, where there are dozens and dozens of high-tech industries whose combined revenue totals millions of dollars in export earnings. Reaching the unreachable is just one of them. This is, this is a, a biomimetic company that, that manufactures these special arms that replicate surgeons' hands that can do the surgery for you. Incredible. One small aspect of Israeli technology. But the tragedy of that is, is that it has produced a people who are absolutely confident in their own ability. 
absolutely confident of their wisdom, of their skills, and their intelligence, and God, unfortunately, is out of the picture, how dramatically that's going to change. But how accurate is the word of God? And God says, I've given you that. It's my silver and my gold. I'm responsible. I'm behind all this. And we are witnessing this absolute incredible miracle of the accuracy of those two verses in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Joel 3. We now move to the Abraham Accords. We know from a number of passages, in fact, there are four passages here that speak about the peace in the region. Brother Tony mentioned about the way in which Russia will use this peace platform to be deceptive and, in fact, think an evil thought. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3, we know the quotation well. When they, they shall say, the world shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. So the world is going to move, particularly the Middle East, is going to, going to move towards a, a peaceful environment. Now the third quote there, Daniel 8, 25, that's the quotation that Tony had in relation to, by peace he shall deceive many, destroy many. And Jeremiah 35 talks about the time of peace as well. But the, the Ezekiel 38 quote, I, I just want to talk about this word in Ezekiel 38. They shall dwell safely, all of them. And, and this is just a, a straight quotation from Strong's Concordance. Safely. What, what exactly does that mean? They shall dwell safely, all of them. Well, as the Hebrew word there on the screen, it means a place of refuge. Abstractly, it has this sense of safety. Both the fact you are secure and the feeling. The fact and the feeling. And that's exactly what Israel's like today. It's assured, it's bold, it's careless, it's confident. And compared to the gas chambers of Europe, it's a refuge in every sense of the world. When we were in Israel just a couple of years ago, we, we met a French Jew, one of the kibbutz, not kibbutz, but uh, one of the place that we stayed at, and, and he was saying to us that it was just an absolute relief, he said, an absolute relief to come here in Israel and be a Jew. He said, in, in France where I live, he said, I, I've got to hide my skull cap. I've got to make sure that I don't talk too much Jewish things. I've got to hide my identity. He said, it's a massive relief, a refuge to be a Jew in Israel. And I think that's probably true for many of those who've emigrated from Europe. It is a refuge. But that technology and that prosperity that we've seen is the cause of this confidence. And that has to change. That has to change. The Abraham Accords are a significant movement towards peace. One of the last things that the Trump administration did before it was removed from office Donald Trump was there for a very specific purpose, very pro-Israel, and also son-in-law Jared Kushner managed to engineer with the provenance of God these Abraham Accords. This is, this is part of the Sheba and Dedan of Ezekiel 38. This is the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. A breakthrough that was absolutely astounding. I mean, God works in the dramatic, doesn't he? Out of all of this, one of the worst US presidents you could possibly imagine these Abraham Accords, and it immediately changed the whole dynamics of the Middle East. Those countries in orange there are, are the countries which have now normalized their relationship. 
the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan. You have nations which are now warming to this arrangement, particularly Saudi Arabia, Oman, Djibouti, and Comoros. And you have, of course, Egypt and Jordan who have what, what's called a cold peace. It's not like a dynamic peace that the United Arab Emirates is actually producing. And, and it is a game changer. It is a game changer. Heralding a new era of business, trading, prosperity, wealth. This is Ezekiel 38, isn't it? You know, this, this second uh, heading here, how tech is cementing the UAE-Israel alliance, is, is interesting because I don't know whether you've ever seen photographs of the United Arab Emirates or, or you've actually flown through it. It is an astounding place. In the middle of the desert, there are skyscrapers and technology. And, and, and what the two parties have found is, is that Israel has a particular market, a niche market, in the electronics and the, uh, and the IT industry, which the United Arab Emirates doesn't have, and vice versa. The UAE is, is uh, focusing upon cosmopolitan and, and city technology, whilst Israel's cybersecurity and, and defence technology. And it's like a match made in heaven, they say. And Arab wealth and Israeli ingenuity has created an enormous bonus in trade. In the first nine months since this accord has actually occurred, there's $345 million in trade. Tourists flocking across both countries Embassies being established in both countries. The Foreign Minister Lapid was in that region just recently. We also find artificial intelligence. This is the new buzzword across the computer industry. Predictive software. Defence companies making contracts with United Arab Emirates. It's an astounding thing. And of course, we have this mention before of the Sovereign Wealth Fund. Just got to spare $3 billion around, let's put it into Israel. It's just unbelievable. This is the hand of God. This is the providential hand of God. Then the Hamas rocket salvos into Israel disturbed the world. And the Abraham Accords were under threat, but in the providence of God, they passed their first big test. Although there was an outpouring of pro-Palestinian sentiment on social media in Abraham Accord countries, there were few signs of outrage on the streets. The agitation didn't come close to rattling the governments, much less forcing them to change their policy. It stood its test. Trade, prosperity, wealth, goods. Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11 picture, is holding strong. But there's another factor of the Abraham Accords <clears throat> that we really need to take into account. And that is, is the emergence of India into the picture. This particular article <clears throat> was, was, was really quite, uh, quite illuminating. It was saying that there is a new and little noticed geostrategic alliance on the rise, India, Israel, and the United Arab Emirates. They've had it surface level 
For a while, however, last year's normalization agreements between Israel and several Arab countries, along with Turkey's bid to return as the leader of the Muslim order, and the growing distance between the UAE and Pakistan, they've created an unlikely and unprecedented Indo-Abrahamic trans-regional order. Quite a mouthful, isn't it? But when you put that on a map, we now have another alliance, don't we? We, we, we have another power-broking group. We're going to see Russia, Europe, Iran, Iraq, Syria, the King of the North Territory, dominant in that part of the hemisphere. And we're going to see this other group of nations, India, having traditional links with Britain, along with Sheba and Dedan, which is the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, along with Egypt and Jordan. All of this dovetailing in. This is the hand of God, brothers and sisters. They're more subtle, but nevertheless, they are real, forging alliances exactly as our understanding of the scriptures dictate. And what about Saudi Arabia? Well, we have a softening in the Saudi community, very slight softening. Saudi foreign minister came out and said, well, look, actually ties with Israel would be tremendous benefit to the Middle East. And I think mutual concern over Iran has gradually brought Israel and the Gulf countries close together, as this article actually says. In actual fact, there was a secret meeting before Netanyahu lost power between himself and Mohammed bin Salman, MBS as he's called, at a place called Neom, which is just in northern Saudi Arabia, just south of Jordan. And it was supposed to be secret. Uh, but some reporters actually saw the presidential plane flying there, saw Netanyahu disembark and then return two or three hours later, having met with this man. Of course, they, they denied the meeting ever took place, but clearly there is this underlying sense of mutual need. Israel's been sharing technology with the Saudis in relation to Yemen because Saudi is having difficulty in containing the Houthis in that particular region. Eventually, it'll be part of the Sheba Dedan arrangement. So Debka, the Israeli uh, <coughs> uh, defense website, Saudi Arabia moves towards the Gulf peace train with Israel. Let me just read what this particular article had to say. Indications of a radical policy turnaround in Riyadh towards jumping aboard the peace wagon rolling forward between Gulf nations Israel were highlighted in a column published on July the 4th by the Ashark al-Azwat, which is the London-based publication close to the Saudi royal family. So in Saudi Arabia, you don't have free press. Any press that actually comes is, in fact, approved by the Saudi royal family. That particular article indicated that there would be a benefit in doing trade with Israel. You'd never see that two years ago in Saudi Arabia. Last week's visit by Foreign Minister Yair Lapid to the United Arab Republic and Bahrain, the first by an Israeli minister to the signatories of the Abraham Accord, was extensively covered in the Saudi media as historic event. A historic event in the Saudi press. Decades-long taboos are being tossed as the Saudis eye the booming trade ties their neighbours are binding with the Jewish state. Things are moving rapidly in that region. Sheba and Dedan, prosperity, wealth. 
And yet we have this paradox, this worldwide vilification of Israel that spawned from the recent conflict with Hamas. The number of news outlets that didn't check the facts, that were so biased against Israel, have now become evident as the journalists are now digging through the information. Hamas shot rockets into Israel. Israel defended itself and destroyed the source of those rockets. And now Israel has been accused of war crimes for defending itself. That's how skewed the media is. But what it really did was it took Israel off guard. Now, in relation to the prophetic word, there are two key quotations that talk about this kind of effect that's going to have an effect upon this whole anxiety in Israel. Prosperous, confident, yet vilified. The first in Ezekiel 38, we'll keep coming back to this chapter. Now, I want you to read this, these two verses carefully. It's, it's quite enlightening when you read it carefully. So when Russia comes down, in verse 12, it comes to take a spoil, to take a prey. There's the money. It'll turn its hand upon the desolate places, all of those wealthy kibbutzim, which have all that technology, it'll grasp those, and it will actually attack the people. So, so notice that. Spoil, desolate places, people. But when Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish respond, they're simply interested in the money. There is no reference at all to the people. Notice that. This is not a cry by saying, well, this is a humanitarian disaster. This is a war crime. And, and the people that you have actually invaded, they're people who are suffering greatly. Not even in the equation. What's in their mind is the investment. Art thou come to take a spoil? And there's just a little hint, just a little hint in Ezekiel 38 that the response of the nations to the Russian invasion is one of material interest only, whilst Russia's after the people as well as the spoil. Isn't that interesting? Now let's come to Jeremiah 30, because Jeremiah 30 offers us a, 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 a remarkable insight into the events around Armageddon. Uh, we know it's the latter-day prophecy because verse 3 tells us that. The return of the Jewish people to the land. A time of trembling. A time of spoil and invasion. And we're going to read from verses 13 to 17. And I've highlighted on the screen in red a number of the key words. So it's just talking about Armageddon. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. <clears throat> thou hast no healing medicines. All thy lovers have forgotten thee, they seek thee not. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, that's Russia. 
for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. I have done these things unto thee. Therefore, all that devour thee shall be devoured, and all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity, and they that spoil thee shall be a spoil. There's that expression about spoiling again. All that prey upon thee will I give for a prey, for I will restore health unto thee. I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith Yahweh, because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. The first point we notice is, is that the punishment that God is bringing upon the Jewish people is because of the multitude of their iniquity. Doesn't matter what spectrum you look across the Jewish horizon, you find this to be true. Tel Aviv, the gay capital of the Middle East. In Jerusalem, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, who are just like the Jews in Paul's day, the same doctrines, the same philosophy. And the agnostics and atheists in the between. If ever you want just a, a reflection of God's view of Israeli society today, there's the verse. The multitude of thine iniquity. And the second thing is, is that God is going to actually do something which no other nation is going to do. He's going to take an interest in Israel because, you see, the world has declared Israel to be an outcast. And the Hebrew word means exactly that. One who's thrust away, one who's driven away, one who's banished. Israel is doing everything it possibly can to be a normal nation. It craves respectability. It craves this, this uh, peer group pressure to, to be part of the world. And in the end, the nations will say, outcast, banished, driven away. And God says, for that very reason, for that very reason, I'm going to restore health. And we, we have this picture of, of a nation that, that's bemoaning and crying and, and almost inconsolable after all of the people it's lost, the destruction of its economy, the destruction of its capital, the deportation of its, of its people, the whole place, almost like a holocaust, a genocide. And there they are crying and weeping without healing, without anyone, anyone interested, banished, outcast, exiled by the world. And God says, I'm looking at that. And because the world reacts in that way to my people, I'm going to heal your wounds. Isn't that incredible? There are a number of catalysts that speak of Christ's intervention for the Jewish people. Ezekiel talks about for his name's sake. Jeremiah talks about for his mercy's sake. Ezekiel talks about the need to remember the promises to Abraham. But this quotation adds a fourth layer. Because they've been rejected by the world... God says, I'm going to take pity on you and I'm going to actually heal your inconsolable wounds. What an amazing thing. But notice that at the time of Armageddon, they are an outcast. And I think, brethren and sisters, that this wave of vilification will increase and increase and increase until the world has this picture of a despised and evil people who deserve to be invaded, I guess. Now, what's been happening in the last few months is this. This is an article by the Australian Israel Review, and it's called Hate Wave. It's an article that talks about the confronting and explosive 
increase in online and offline anti-Semitism. Like the COVID-19 pandemic that's gripped the globe for the past 18 months, anti-Semitism has been experiencing a resurgence in virtually every part of the world. It's international. In both the US and Britain over recent months, monitoring bodies have recorded the highest levels of anti-Semitic incidents ever experienced, ever experienced. Ever experienced. Social media is clearly part of this explosion of hate. So you have a situation where you have people in New York, opposite sides of the street, pro-Palestinian, pro-Israel, and the police keeping them apart. You have this situation in Britain where you had a number of cars that went through Jewish neighborhoods with megaphones saying, Hitler was right. Jewish daughters will be raped. This is, this is in Britain, publicized. Israel were taken off guard, brethren and sisters, by the fact that even in Israeli cities, which had normally enjoyed this wonderful coexistence of Arab and Jewish citizens, exploded. And this new government under Bennett and Lapid is going to address that situation. It's a softer government compared to Netanyahu. They want to explore ways to mend the fences. It took Israel off guard. And what it means for us, brothers and sisters, we, we are a community that, as Paul says, that the Jewish people are enemies for the gospel's sake. They don't have the truth. They're in unbelief of the messiahship of Jesus. Yet, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And we have interaction with the Jewish people through euthalia and things like that. And who knows that some of those people we have interaction with may be survivors of this and, and may be, I guess, interested and, and involved in, in the plan of God when the Lord returns. Who knows? But what it's going to do for us as a community is put pressure on our perception of God's people. If the world out there is spewing out hatred and vitriol against the Jewish people, that affects people, doesn't it? Subconsciously, you become uncomfortable talking about Israel. You become less comfortable by supporting Israel. And therefore, the pressure will be on in relation to our attitude towards the people of God. And that's why in Joel chapter 3... You know, God said, they're my people, my people, beloved for the Father's sake. Yes, for all their iniquity, which they will be punished for, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And there'll be a revolution, a spiritual revolution in Israel that we long and yearn for. So to conclude, brethren and sisters, in Jeremiah chapter 30 and also in a few other places, we, we, we have just this, this wonderful little hint of the work that we will have as immortalized saints, God willing. Now, when Jeremiah 30 verse 17 said, I will restore health, I will heal thy wounds, that's our work. The I will manifest himself through the saints. Now, you imagine the work that we have cut out for us, brothers and sisters of stabilizing and strengthening a nation shattered, and I mean absolutely shattered by Armageddon, to energize them with the power of God's word, to, to, to rebuild their confidence in God, in all the diverse views in Israel, to rebuild their confidence in God and to explain to them the purpose of Armageddon, the purpose of the last 2,000 years, the purpose that they have played in all of that, 
to, to, to recover that, their sense of identity in that purpose, to provide them new direction, a new meaning of life in God. That is an amazing work, Brendan, of which we are being prepared for now. Our interaction, our support of each other, our caring disposition that should be manifest amongst us is in preparation for that day. And not only for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. That second quotation, I will feed you with pastors, teachers, according to mine heart. That's us. We will be those teachers, God willing, who go forth across the Jewish people and across the world. Teaching according to my heart, the way God thinks, we will express that to the people because that's what we're developing now. A spiritual mind that thinks like God and will feed people like a shepherd with understanding. Understanding. There's no such thing as the immortal soul. There's no such thing as a devil. There's no such thing as a triune, triune deity. And all of the vanity of the world swept aside by teachers like you and I, God willing, going out and teaching and educating and transforming people with the power of the word. And that last quotation is a magnificent quotation. I will direct Israel's work in truth. Yeah, Brother Bruce mentioned the, the sweeping doctrine of Rome that doesn't worry about truth. We will go forth and we'll have the truth. And the truth will make them free. And this, this incredible understanding that we have, this wonderful privilege that we have, will be given to the world. What an amazing time that will be, brothers and sisters. Are we ready for this? Are we in a frame of mind that yearns for his coming and his presence? Are we watching and praying? Are we occupying ourselves in service out of love to each other? How much longer do we have? Sure, it can't be much longer, brethren and sisters, as we've seen the, the accuracy and, of the wonder of God's word and his hand amongst the nations and amongst Israel particularly. But ye, brethren, says Paul, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're all children of light and children of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, from helmet the hope of salvation, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but he has appointed us to obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. May that day soon come when we shall restore health and heal the world of its wounds.